Lights, camera, action. When a script is written that is so bad that no one will film it, two men will bring it to life just so they can mock it. This is Table Reads. So the movie's kaput, which means your script ain't worth the buffalo shit on the nickel. Table Reads with Sean McBee and Patrick Duffy. Yeah, that's right. Sean McBee and Patrick Duffy. Hello, I'm Patrick Duffy. You may have noticed that Patrick Duffy is not the name that you're used to hearing. Uh, Trevor Thompson, my uh, longtime co-host, has decided to step back from the show. Uh, You can still hear he and I, along with our pal Jimmy, on our other show, Touche El Duche. And just because I gotta do it. Jimmy Williams? Yes. Uh, Jimmy will occasionally be on this show as well, but for right now, it's just me and Duffy. Um, eventually, Duffy's producing me right now, and eventually, uh, I will take over those duties as well, but it's a thing that I need to do some setting up on and, you know, get used to. So, for right now, Patrick Duffy's helping me out, and even once I take over producing duties. I think uh, you'll probably hear Patrick Duffy on the show at least fairly often. I'd like to think so. I mean, I love movies and I love making fun of them too. And, you know, movies that never were are also fun to make fun of. Well, sure. So, uh, eventually, I will hope to find a a regular co-host that can be here in the room with me instead of in Maryland. Like who? Who the? Who wants to be in Maryland? Uh, not I, but it is where my family is, and uh, well, at least my immediate family, because yeah, they live with me. But uh, eh, you know, I'll, I make do. Well, today we're gonna start on uh, what I did promise the last episode, and that is the Six Million Dollar Man by Kevin Smith. Dated September 1st, 1996. So, like, real old school Kevin Smith. So this is, like, Clerks Mallrats age. Uh, this would have been... It would have written this the year after Mallrats nice. came out. So he was probably still... Probably hadn't even written the Chasing Amy script yet. Or if he had, he... You know, the movie definitely wasn't out yet. And see, I don't know about you, but... For me, Kevin Smith is definitely one of my all-time greats. Uh, of course, Tusk and uh, and Yoga Hosers aside. You know, I haven't even watched those yet, and a friend of mine is in Tusk. Well, you gotta give your friend some cred. Yeah, I mean, he got paid a PA rate to play a uh, main character in the flashback. But, uh, whatever. It is what it is. It's a long story. Uh, so... The Six Million Dollar Man. Fade in. Exterior. OSI Bionics Division. Washington, D.C. Night. An establishing shot of a polished and sterile-looking building. A subtitle lets us know where we are. Because that's how movies work. (laughs) The grounds are patrolled by soldiers. Six of them, to be exact. Fully armed. Fully trained. 
They walk the borders and watch the shadows. One of the soldiers reaches into his top pocket and extracts a cigarette. He pops it into his mouth and reaches for a light. As he flicks the lighter, a flash of steel swipes in front of him, lightly sprinkling his face with blood. His eyes go wide, and he slowly looks toward the ground. There, on the cement pathway, some people call it a sidewalk, his hand rests, lighter still ignited in its severed grip. That's not at all a cliched, like, I, I'm guessing it's a sword? At uh, this point, shot. we don't know. But it's it's cliched. A swipe of metal and his hands on the floor and his light... Oh, come on, Kevin. <laughs> hey, this was young Kevin. The now pale soldier slowly looks up. As his eyes meet with something off screen, he buckles forward as if gutted. I, I think it's going to cut to us showing that he's been gutted. Interior, OSI Bionics Division Building, night. A night watchman sits at the front desk. He twists furiously at the lid of a jar of mayonnaise. Before him sits an open turkey sandwich, awaiting said condiment. And it, actually, it's un... well, yeah, said, mayonnaise, okay, said. Frustration shows on his face. His eyes clamp shut to facilitate a harder twist and miss the security monitor, which details flashes of black darting across the front of the building's exterior. The fallen soldiers are dragged off screen. So... It's mysterious. Whoa. <laughs> the only reason these guys aren't getting caught is because this guy had trouble with his mayonnaise jar? Did they plan for that? Was that part of their master plan? Like... Put glue in his mayonnaise jar! <laughs> you know, I don't know if they had it back in 90-whatever, but uh, they do have flip-top lids now. So this totally yeah. could have been avoided. Yeah, if only he lived in the future. Uh, the night watchman gives up and slams the jar on the counter of his desk. He checks the security monitor briefly, too late, buddy, sees nothing, and turns his attention back to his sandwich. He closes it and looks around for something. Behind him, he spots a butter knife. As he turns to retrieve it, a flash of silver comes down behind him, slicing his sandwich in half. <laughs> Saved him the time. Making not the slightest sound as it does so. The night watchman turns back to his dinner, preparing to cut his sandwich in half with his butter knife. When he notices the sandwich already cut in half, he freezes, blinking twice. He slowly looks up. His eyes go wide. Before him stand six ninja. Uh, Is that the swords? plural? Is that the correct plural? Yes. Okay. So, fun Japanese fact. The Japanese do not have plural versions of words. Huh. You only pluralize something from the context. Like, instead of saying, can you get me that chair? You would say, can you get me those chair? Hmm. And people know you mean more than one. All right. Food for thought. That's my Japanese uh, language lesson for the day. You can turn the podcast off now if that's what you were here for. <laughs> uh, before him stand six ninja, swords drawn, shuriken in hand. They seem very out of place in the lobby. Yeah, they're ninja <laughs> in a lobby. <laughs> 
but not as out of place as the Night Watchman looks, facing down well-armed would-be assassins with a butter knife. He continues to stare. The ninja part as if on cue, allowing for a large cloaked figure to pass between their number. Half his face is shrouded. One eye, the one eye we can see, stares down the Night Watchman. The cloaked figure stops at the counter and eyes the Night Watchman. The Night Watchman begins to sweat. The screenwriter likes writing the Night Watchman. The cloaked figure turns his attention to the sandwich on the counter. He picks up half and takes a bite, chewing. Mmm, this is a tasty <laughs> burger! <laughs> he pauses and replaces it on the plate. That was Pulp so Fiction was out at this point. I know it was, but that was so unexpected. <laughs> Bravo, sir. Uh, I'm, I'm saying Kevin might might have been biting off a coin a little bit here. Mm, okay. He pauses and replaces it on the plate. He then slowly reaches for the jar of mayonnaise and twists off the lid with the ease with which one would fart. What? Kevin, come on. I mean, we know you're a big guy, Kevin, but... He was. Really? He's lost a lot of weight. He's still a big guy, dude. Yeah. He's still easily as big as you, no oh. matter how much weight he's lost. All right, then. Because you've never been kicked off a plane for taking up two seats. No. Kevin Smith has. I am aware. Um, I lost my place. Look at you. He then slowly reaches for the jar of mayonnaise and twists off the lid with the ease with which one would fart. He points to the butter knife in the Night Watchman's hand. The Night Watchman looks down at it, comprehends, and then hands it to the cloaked figure. This is... I feel like he's playing this for like a, a, a long, awkward humor... But it's really just sort of reading as like, why is this happening? I mean, if you put Jason Mewes as the Night Watchman, like, this would be hilarious. Just saying. I mean, if you put Jason Mewes in any role, it's hilarious. Yeah. The cloaked figure dips the knife into the jar, gets a knife full, and spreads the mayonnaise on the sandwich half he's eating. He takes another bite and nods at the Night Watchman. Better. The cloaked figure puts the sandwich down, wipes his hands then reaches forward and snaps the Night Watchman's neck with the ease he displayed in opening the jar of mayo, which, uh, for the listener, is the ease with which one would fart. <laughs> to re- you know, just to recap, clearly, this is a strong man. He breaks necks like he farts, y'all! <laughs> As the Night Watchman crumples to the floor, the ninja wor- wordlessly rush out of frame. The cloaked figure places the lid back on the jar of mayonnaise. Interior, Bionics Lab, night. A crew of scientists put the finishing touches on a microchip. (laughs) They just don't know how this stuff is made, do they? Uh, A crew of scientists. There's like six guys, crowded, or women, crowded around a microchip, putting the finishing touches on it as if it's a... As if it's a kitchen in a restaurant. And you got someone drizzling the olive oil and someone with tweezers putting the little sprig of rosemary on top. I'm so glad we don't live in the 90s anymore because, man, things were tough back then. It took a whole team. On a microchip. A word that, when was the last time that was even used? Oh, we need the microchip! That's not been in a movie in 20 years. Um, One touches a wire to the chip's edge. 
On the other side of a glass wall, a robotic arm flexes open, in the fashion of a human arm. We got that. Touching another wire to the chip, the hand on the arm closes tightly, then opens. This, this is not how technology works. <laughs> There's a whole lot of direction in this. Yeah. No dialogue yet. Not a word. Nah. The code panel on the door blinks to life. A number sequence begins to flash. You know what? I bet Kevin has been criticized at this point for writing too much dialogue. <laughs> so he's like, ah! guys, I'm just gonna... Uh, do nothing but, but dialogue. Well, you know, in his defense, I love his monologues. I mean, you look at Chasing Amy, you look at Mallrats, and of course you look at, you know, the, the clerks, and it's just, the monologues are so witty and so upbeat, but, uh, I don't, you know, people are going to complain about anything, I guess. That's what I'm saying is he was probably criticized and this was his reaction. Um, the scientist looks to the door, then to one another. They share, we're all here, who could it be this time of night? Confused glances. Suddenly the door whooshes open, allowing a view of a smoke-filled outer hallway. <laughs> Mysterious. It sounds like Vader stepping into the hallway in on the Tantive Four in A New Hope. The scientists stare, confused. Then black flashes speed into the room. Blades rise and fall. can fly! One by one, the scientists drop, bloodied, dazed, and unaware of what hit them. The cloaked figure enters the fray, stepping over bodies. <laughs> he approaches a computer bank and begins typing on a keyboard. What the hell's a computer bank? It's a... It's a an ATM? I don't know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the cloaked figure reaches into a pocket and withdraws a cable. He inserts one end into the hard drive of the computer. Oh, he must have saw hackers. He he inserts one end of the cable into the hard drive of the computer. Like straight in <laughs> to the hard drive. So an IDE cable. Ultra scuzzy? Something? Uh, Patrick's day job is as an IT guy. Yes. I might, be, um, I might not be nerdier than you, but I am definitely geekier than you. The other end of the cable he apparently plugs into his unseen ear. He types anew on the keyboard. Okay, so he's got a wire going from his head to the keyboard, to the hard drive, and he's typing shit. This is next level stuff, Kev. Next level. On the screen, an access code bypass, bypasses the security and encrypted codes fill the screen. The cloaked figure presses enter. On the screen, the graphic reads, downloading, please wait. The cloaked figure's fingers tap the console patiently. He freezes. One of the ninja examines the robotic arm and the corresponding chip. The ninja looks up sharply. <laughs> the cloaked figure slowly turns, giving us a full view of his face. Half of the skin on the previously unseen side is worn away, revealing tarnished metal beneath it. The cord is inserted in a vacant eye socket. This is our first full view of Clatch, who here is speaking in Japanese and subtitled. So who's going to play Clatch? 
That's going to be you, because I want to hear your most racist Japanese <laughs> Oh, man, that's not even funny. I'll try to make it funny, though. Don't touch the machine! Oh, come on. Give him some sinisterness. This is our big bad. He's got <laughs> half a... He's got a half metal face with a USB cable in his eyeball. Well, this is predating USB, but okay, we'll we'll go with that just for just for the sake of simplicity. Don't okay. Touch. He's he's got a thirty pin parallel port jammed into his eye socket. That's a wide eye socket. All right, yeah. moving forward. Don't touch the machine. The ninja backs away with a slight bow. Platch turns his attention back to the screen. On the screen, the graphic reads: "Downloading complete." Clatch unplugs the cord from his eye and crosses to the robotic arm. I really wish he just put a floppy drive in his face. <laughs> he takes the microchip from the work base and sticks it in a small plastic bag. Smashing his hand through the glass, he grabs the robotic arm, crushing it in his gloved grasp. He shakes his hands free of glass and metal shards and strides out of the lab, closely followed by the ninja. Credits. <laughs> Exterior, Taft Experimental Airfield, day. A ground crew prepares the Daedalus V, a sleek, black, futuristic stealth bomber. It looks mighty pricey. General McClintock, 50s, on the heavy side, old soldier feel, barks into a cellular phone. He is closely shadowed by his aide. Why don't you be McClintock and I'll be the aide? Alright. I want to speak to Goldman, and I want to speak to him now. I just don't care. Tell him it's his goddamn job security calling. Still no sign of him? Main gate says he hasn't come through yet, sir. Test pilot. They go civilian, and it's all talk shows and golf. Well, this is the last time I wait for. Into phone. What? Well, track down his ass, missy. I don't hear Oscar Goldman on this phone by the count of three. You'll have him down in the brig. Alright, so I guess you're playing Oscar? Yeah. I'll have him thrown! McClintock looks up sharply. Oscar Goldman, also 50s, trim, kind-faced, smiles at McClintock. McClintock frowns back at him, thrusting the cellular at his aid. He holds his watch up at Oscar's face. You see that, Oscar? See how the big hand has now passed the 12 and it's well on its way to the 3? That means that this craft should have been airborne 15 friggin' minutes ago. I see that ROTC education paid off, Hal. Silly me. I let my parents teach me how to tell time. Where is that little shit, Oscar? Little? He's bigger than you. The only thing big about Colonel Austin is his big aversion to being on time. If he's not there in 10 minutes, you're going up in his place. The Air Force didn't spend $2 billion on this piece of wow. Piece of wow. <laughs> to have it decorate the airstrip. For Christ's sake. $2 billion's a kind estimate. I am not screwing around here, Goldman. Does your boy have a case of the chicken shits or something? I swear to God, if he doesn't show, I'll have his ass drummed out of this program so fast. Hal, let's not kid ourselves. Yes, he's late. Yes, he's always late. But I'll tolerate lateness because he's the best. He's a regular Chuck Yeager, and it's a privilege to watch him work. Is he irresponsible? Of course. 
but insinuating that he might even be the slightest bit nervous about what for him is probably the most routine of test runs, even in this souped-up 727. Well, that's just childish. Good he is, a god he's not. People get scared, Goldman, even over praised test pilots, particularly on their final runs. <sighs> Who flew 12 test runs in the stealth, even when we were sure the retro thrusters weren't up to snuff? Who landed the H-Class on fumes when the fuel-to-weight ratio was miscalculated by your people? Who, when told to eject from an on-fire F-16, still brought her in safely and quick enough to extinguish the blaze before it even came close to irreparable damage? Steve Austin may not be the most punctual person I've ever worked with, but I'd say he's, hands down, the bravest man alive, bar none. And we've established a character we haven't even met yet. Yes. So I, I take it uh, this is where we need, uh, you know, th yeah, this is this is where we need Kelly Levier or someone else that's female. It's okay. I've gotten used to doing the female parts. All right. Well, it's you, Kelly. We'll give this one to you then. Exterior, bathroom, Jamie's apartment, day. Jamie Summer, 30s. Gorgeous in a bookish sort of fashion, bangs on the bathroom door. Jesus, Steve! You're the biggest coward I've ever met! Oh, look at the juxtaposition! <laughs> Bravest man alive! Jesus, Steve! You're the biggest coward I've ever met! Must you lock the door every time you go? It's not like I haven't seen it before. Alright, so I guess I'm doing Steve... Yeah, he's the main character. You get to be the main character with your deep DJ voice. Ah, thank you. <laughs> you don't need to be in on what goes down in here. A toilet flush is heard. And don't forget to wash your hands. The door opens. There stands Steve Austin. 30s, well-built, charming as hell. Don't know why we cast Patrick in this role. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> he reaches for Jamie's face. Let me caress your lips. Ducking past him, entering the bathroom. Get off me, you pig! All I needed was the brush. But, oh no. Your big bad test pilot had to be a wone when he tinkled. What can I say? I'm shy. Interior. Bedroom. Day. Steve climbs into a flight suit. Jamie brushes her hair in the mirror. You're also late, which means you're also holding me up. Grabs her from behind. Why don't you skip class today and watch me fly? Why don't you skip flying today and watch me teach? It's safer. Face down a class load of fifth graders? I'll take my chance with the unproven aircraft. You better get used to the idea of kids, Colonel. If you think I'm marrying you for the way you monopolize the bathroom, you're sadly mistaken. No, I just think you're marrying me because my father is giving your father two fat cows and three pelts. You're such a moron. <laughs> he takes her in his arms. Tell the moron that you love him. God help me. Tell him. Stares at him lovingly, smiles. I love the moron. The moron loves you. <laughs> you know, this whole scene, I feel like I've seen it in 50 other movies. Sure. Mostly in the 80s. Well, he's a decade too, uh, too, too late on this one. The, they kiss. Deeply. Familiar. Oh, they're getting married and they're familiar with each other? Who'd have thunk? 
These two have spent some time together. <laughs> Come on, Kev. Give me a lift. Why don't they have you test cars instead of fancy experimental jets? That way you can drive your own ass to work all the time. And miss all the last minute fondling before I face death? Never. You had enough fondling this morning. Which is why you're now... 20 minutes late. God, I hope they fire you. Old pilots never get fired. They just fly away. And beg for free rides. Come on. Exterior. Taft Airfield. Jamie's car pulls onto the airfield, about 100 feet from the craft. Interior. Jamie's car. Day. Jamie stares at the plane. So that's the other woman? Beautiful, isn't it? Although it's a woman I could never afford to keep around. Yeah, see, that just isn't written right. Yeah, he put an it in there. Yeah, It's just like earlier when he said uh, on, and he meant uh, one. Yeah. You, on the other hand, are cheap. I want you to promise me one thing. You come back alive. Jesus, Jamie. Promise? All right, if I have to. But the next time I get to come back dead, it's only fair. Like there will be a next time. <laughs> Do you know how much shit Oscar gave me about that? He said you were such a good influence. Oscar's a smart man. I should marry him. Oscar would never quit his job for you. Don't think I don't appreciate it. You owe me so much sex for this. A lifetime's worth. You're dismissed, Colonel Austin. I'll see you tonight. Exterior, airfield, day. Steve steps out of Jamie's car, watches her go as she speeds away. Oscar joins him. She's not even going to watch the last flight? That, my friend, is one stubborn woman. So, did I miss the plane? They head toward the hangar. You're 45 minutes late. Really? I thought I was early. Like that excuse worked the first three times. Matters little to me, believe me. Just don't ask to borrow any money from McClintock right now. I'm glad you're here, Oscar. Gives this whole career a sense of closure. Unfortunately, I can't stay. What? Why not? You think the government pays me to watch you play Top Gun? I have a real job, you know. Which is? Well, I... Oh my god, you almost tricked it out of me. Thank heavens I'm smart. <laughs> <laughs> it would be nice if one day I knew what branch you worked for, at least. I'll tell you, if you really want to know. But then you'll have to be killed. For your own safety, you understand. I didn't think they let G-Man have a sense of humor. You think that's funny? Will you hear my Hoover jokes? Ugh. McClintock storms up to them, closely followed by his aide. Austin, this is the last time! Steve shaking his hand. It is, sir. And that's what makes you being here so touching. I'm moved, sir. Deeply moved. Steve enters the locker room. McClintock stares after him, then at Oscar. Al, you've got this vein popping out? Right there. The cellular phone rings. The aide answers it. Go for General McClintock. The aide listens, then extends the phone to Oscar. It's for you, Mr. Goldman. Oscar takes the phone. Goldman. Yes. What? His face goes pale. Uh, this... 
this is not a secured line. I'm on my way. You can debrief me there. Goldman out. Oscar looks shocked. He absently hands the phone back to the aide. Extend my best wishes to Colonel Austin and inform him I will speak to him after his run. Oscar grabs his briefcase from the hangar and rushes to a waiting car. <sighs> Civvies. Yes, sir. Oscar's car races away. Let's get this show on the road, shall we? Roads? Where we're going? We, we don't, don't need it's, roads. Because it's a plane, is the <laughs> thing. Interior, locker room, day. Well, this should get exciting. Steve leans over an examination table, bone still. He obscures a figure behind him. Cough. Yeah, yeah who, who's doing the voice? I will, because you're Steve, so we'll... Okay. Oh, you're not doing a whole scene by yourself. Well, thank you. Cough. <laughs> Steve coughs and squints. He shakes his head. You know, it's customary to at least buy a fella dinner first. Dr. Rudy Wells, late 50s, somewhat burly for a doctor, mustached, rises and pulls off rubber gloves. They're old friends. You, you can tell that by looking at his mustache. I find nothing wrong with you that a good swift kick in the ass wouldn't cure. Honestly, Rudy, I'd rather a kick than a probe any day. You're not a gentleman. <laughs> How often am I going to see you, now that you're leaving the good life behind? What the fat retirement health plan the government's providing? Try one every 20 years. I'll miss you, Steve. It's always been a pleasure being your physician. I'd say the pleasure's been all mine. Rudy chuckles as Steve heads off. Tear a new one in the sky, Austin. Table Reads will return after this brief word from our sponsors. Harry Potter! What are you doing listening to Rogue Intel? That podcast is for Slytherin! I say, I say, I say, boy, I say, boy, every time I gotta go get new boxing gloves for that daggone chicken hawk, I go to rogueintel.com slash Amazon. And I get him the bestest boxing gloves that Amazon could buy. <laughs> Look at that. He's hitting that dog. That is the dumbest dog I've ever seen. Movies, anime, comics, video games, and pop culture. These are but mere playthings for the manliest beings in all of podcasting history. The powerful Nerdcast. Hosted by the gurus of geekdom, Corey and Christian. Join them each week to discuss all things nerd culture. Everything from Star Wars to Dragon Ball Z and everything in between. Find the powerful Nerdcast on the Rogue Intel Podcast Network at RogueIntel.com. Hi, this is Uwe Ball. If you want to help support the podcast on this network, go to RogueIntel.com. Thank you. TableReadsPodcast.com Lights, camera, action, 
So the movie's kaput. Which means your script ain't worth the buffalo shit on a nickel. Now, back to Table Reads. Part of the Rogue Intel Podcast Network. And we're back. Yes. So, um... First half. It's, uh... It's been fun so far. There's ninjas. Well, there's ninja. There's several ninja. See, I learned. Yes. Good job. I thank you. Uh, and a cyborg ninja master guy. There is. And a romance and a kindly doctor with a mustache. <laughs> and a, that's about it. I love a man with a good mustache. I was picturing Wilford Brimley the whole time. Well, that's a little excessive. Hey, that's a mustache. <laughs> Fade in. Exterior, airfield, later. In slow-mo, Steve emerges from the hangar dressed in full-flight regalia. His sealed G-suit, an oxygen mask hanging from his face, connected to a breathing unit, which an assistant carries. I feel like the assistant carrying that is going to really take down on the emotional impact of this slow-motion walking shot. <laughs> Steve approaches the craft and ascends the ladder, climbing into the cockpit. Are we still slow motion? This could take a while. The cockpit windshield slides closed. Techies lock it shut from the outside. Interior, cockpit, day. Steve locks his breathing unit in and adjusts some switches on the control panel. He extracts a photo of Jamie and wedges it between two dials. <laughs> God damn it. That's so Top Gun. It's so everything. Like, it was in The Rocketeer. Put a picture of Jenny on the dash when he would go dust crops or whatever. Come on! Exterior, airfield, day. McClintock debriefs a small gaggle of military officers of various branches. Now I know you've all been debriefed, but to sum up today's exercise, we're going to be demonstra- Wait, wait, what? wait. The, the description says that he is debriefing them. So... His debrief starts with, I know you've all been debriefed, but I haven't had enough dialogue. <laughs> yeah, I was going to let that slide, but, uh, you know. That is not, this is not the podcast for letting stuff slide. No, no. I, I no. say bring it out, expose it for what it is. Yes. Call Kevin out. I'm going to go see Kevin Smith live on October 6th, and I am going to... Give him shit for this. <laughs> well, we don't if know. I get we, to speak to him face to face. It could be another Roger Rabbit scenario where the script ends up being amazing. No, no. By now, we already knew Roger Rabbit was amazing. Yeah, okay. There weren't ninja in Roger Rabbit with USB eye sockets. <laughs> Go debrief those guys. <laughs> 10 4, Captain. <laughs> Now, I know you've all been debriefed, but to sum up today's exercise, we're going to demonstrate the validity of the Daedalus 5 combat runs. The Daedalus is our newest stealth bomber, which will operate along the same principle as the SR-2 at Beale or the U-2. Colonel Austin will be taking her up to 80,000 feet at speeds of Mach 8. God bless, that's fast. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Mach 8 would kill you. Yeah. Like, no, I'm pretty sure Mach 8 would have killed you four mocks ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Once reached, Colonel Austin will shut down the glide for approximately six minutes, at which time he'll re-engage and bring her back for a fairly smooth landing. We hope. Oh man, I love this music for this right now. It's a kinder, gentler debriefing for the <laughs> stealth bomber. <laughs> Should we leave it? I don't care. The officers laugh. General One seems dubious. Mach 8 at 8,000? I fail to see how that can be effective in combat. The Daedalus is intended for long-range covert use. It can enter enemy airspace quickly, quietly, and without detection. Once it's shut down, it's virtually cloaked by the time it ever did show up on radar. It'll have dumped whatever payload it's carrying and be gone. A phantom offensive? Exactly. And the reinforced undercarriage allows for it to land not only on airstrips, but on carriers as well. He used undercarriage and airstrip in the same sentence. <laughs> it's my front bottom. <laughs> but short of general combat, what use will it have? But short of combat, what use will it have? I, you know, I inserted the name of the character, which is General, <laughs> the line of dialogue. Um... But what a stupid question is that? This general is asking about a stealth bomber. Short of combat, what use will it have? The answer is none. It's made for combat. <laughs> combat. Yeah, this that's guy, like this general that's like going to PFC. It's like going to the car dealership and going. Now, short of driving me places, what use will this car have? Well, general surveillance tracking. Honestly, gentlemen, the chances are we'll never have to use it. But in the eventuality. I know I'm not alone when I say I'd sleep better at night knowing this thing's sitting in one of our hangars. Interior, cockpit, day. Steve flicks a switch. Mission control, this is Daedalus. Do you copy? We're getting you just fine, Daedalus. Interior, mission control, day. A crew of eight techies line monitors and computer banks. The mission control captain, Barnes, 40s, clean, buzz cut, speaks into a microphone attached to his console. How you feeling, Steve? How's your airflow? A monitor shows a graphic of Steve's body. Arrows delineate the passage of airflow. Nothing beats having oxygen forced into your lungs. Barnes smiles. Ready for one last stab at glory, Colonel Austin? It's funny, Barnes. That's what your wife always says when I stop by to see her on those cold lonely nights you've been down here playing in your glorified air traffic controller interior cockpit day steve makes some last minute adjustments as long as you make the bed before you go you have my blessing just let me borrow your little whip cracker from time to time maybe she can talk me into retiring early as well what the hell is a whip cracker like like literally a whip cracker damn she could talk you into manning the mic at the BK drive-thru. Are we ready to kickstart this jalopy? You have clearance, Clarence. <laughs> Say hi to the angels for me. Uh, I'm going to stop that. Did he really just write that? Clearance, Clarence? Like, Yep. Wow. All right. See, these two, they have rapport. Well, that and, that, you know, Barnes that, is a nerd. That's what clearance, Clarence is. It's rapport. At least that's what Kevin Smith considered rapport in 1996. 
You have Clarence, Clarence. Say hi to the angels for me. Exterior, airfield, day. The ground crew gives... Gives? Gives. The ground crew gives Steve the thumbs up and darts for the hangar. The thrusters heat up. The Daedalus begins to move. The assemblage of military hold on to their hats against the strong winds created by the accelerating craft. Interior, cockpit, day. Steve pulls down on the thruster. Great scene. Exterior, airfield, day. The Daedalus begins its taxi up the runway. It travels for a few hundred feet, picking up speed. Interior, cockpit, day. Steve settles back, flicks a switch, and pulls back hard on the throttle. Grab your socks and hose and pull. Exterior, airfield, day. The Daedalus jets forward, flies down the runway, and lifts off, shooting into the sky. The assembled crowd watches in awe. Some clap. Oh, a plane took off! <laughs> Interior, cockpit, day. Steve pulls back further on the throttle. Another great oh. scene. Exterior, sky, day. The Daedalus takes another jump in speed. A sonic boom sounds. Yeah, good job. <laughs> Interior, mission control, day. Barnes monitors the computer banks. Daedalus at Mach 1 and climbing. Steve, you can flap your wings anytime now. Interior, cockpit, day. Steve flicks a switch. Roger that. Exterior, sky, day. Exterior, sky, I love it. <laughs> the sheer wings extend fully out to the sides. The craft rockets through a cloud bank. Interior, OSI, OSI Bionics Lab, day. MPs and military coroners zip clothes and carry out body bags containing the butchered scientists. Oscar surveys the mess, accompanied by Hauser, 40s, trib, all business. What time approximately? Meds figure about two. What were they still doing here at the time? At that time? Project log indicates they were working on the subfusion chip. I don't know why I just made him southern, but let's roll with it, I guess. Security cameras went down a couple minutes before forced entry. You know, uh, Hauser sounds like a southern name. Southern Germany, maybe. But still. <laughs> they immigrated. I take, it's the, I take it it's the same as the two we had at Langley and Norad? No guns, all swords, apparently. The Night Watchman. Had his neck crushed. Family man? Divorced. Thank God for a small favor. What was taken? Well, all the cybernetic system files, as well as the subfusion chip they were working on. The prototype arm was destroyed. He's nothing, if not thorough. Media? Not a word. Not a sound. Complete lockup. How about the old man? Interior, foyer, OSI Bionics Division Building, day. Various MPs clean up. The area is taped off. Already been. Earlier. She wants us back at the con in about 20 minutes for tactical. I think she's gonna suggest uh, an immediate start. Then I hope she's volunteering. Because out of all the possible candidates they sent us, only one came even close. And he didn't have a shred of combat experience. What are you gonna suggest? Same as always. Beefed up security at all of that, at all our labs. 
Counter-espionage measures. Manhunt. Blah, blah, blah. I mean about a project. Six million. What can I suggest? Wait for a suitable human guinea pig. That's not foreshadowing. <laughs> Exterior, sky, day. The dateless rockets through the stratosphere. Interior, mission control, day. Barnes checks over one of the techies' shoulders. He speaks into the headset mic. Colonel Austin is at Mach 7. Mike Exterior, Kelly is. Air, airfield, day. Yeah, well, you know, you can tell because uh, his... You know how when Batman takes off his mask, he grabs the the nose yes. and just pull. Uh, yeah, his his face has done that from the mouth, so he's just skull and all his skin's flapping behind him. That's how you can tell. That that was what was on the techie screen. <laughs> Exterior airfield day. McClintock's aide presses his headpiece. To his ear and nods. He turns to McClintock. Colonel Austin is at Mach 7, sir. Colonel Austin should be at Mach 8 in approximately 30 seconds, at which time he'll shut down, re-engage, and glide her in. Glide her in. Oh, <laughs> get that astroglide. Interior, cockpit, day. Steve pulls back on the stick. See, he knows what's going on. He's pulling back on the stick. Exterior, sky, day. The Daedalus climbs even higher. Thank you for giving us those two shots to indicate how planes work. <laughs> Interior, cockpit, day. The digital altitude gauge reads 79,000 feet and climbing. Steve moves his attention from the gauge to his control panel. The sheer pressure of the G-force shows on his face. He flop, makes flop, an flop, adjustment. Flop, flop. <laughs> he makes an adjustment, passing over Jamie's picture. He pulls back on the throttle one last time. Exterior, sky, day. The Daedalus shoots flames out of its ass and rockets forward. The whole time it's been just going without the retro thrusters. So now, now he turned those on. It's just been running on hopes and dreams. Interior, mission control, day. Barnes claps his hands together happily. Goddamn! He is at Mach 8! His crew lets out a cheer. Exterior airfield, day. McClintock's aide relays the information. Colonel Austin's at Mach 8, sir. That has to be some kind of record? <laughs> Weird, that's the way that's written. Uh, yeah, that, that did not need to be there, that question mark. His fifth, I believe. Colonel Austin is nothing if not an overachiever. Interior cockpit, day. Steve flicks a switch while speaking. Oh, he's doing two things at once. What a multitasker. Ground control? This is Major Tom. No, sorry. Control? I'm shutting down now. All power switching to backups. Stand by. Exterior. Sky. Day. The tail exhaust kicks off. Exhaust? The Daedalus glides through the sky, 8,000 feet above sea level. Interior. Cockpit. Day. Steve relaxes. Yeah, sure, because he's got the ability to relax at this point. Barnes, how impressed will your wife be? Interior, mission control, day. Barnes lights a cigarette and chuckles. In the mission control, he just lights a cigarette. Hello, 1996. <laughs> we don't miss you. 
I'll tell you, I'm gonna be here late tonight, so... Suddenly an alarm goes off. Barnes' attention snaps to his console. On the monitor, a graphic of the outline of the Daedalus comes up with a red light over the tailpipe. Tailpipe? Barnes studies it, taken aback. Come back, Control. I missed that last part. Barnes's face drops. He smashes his cigarette out. Steve, do not re-engage. Repeat, do not re-engage. Interior, cockpit, day. Steve catches the, the fear in Barnes's voice. Um, I won't be re-engaging for another four minutes. Interior, mission control, day. Pan down a row of techies, scrambling about frantically, checking data. Stop on Barnes, breaking a sweat. Negative, Colonel. You have a massive fuel leak in your exhaust. On the monitor, the red that was limited to the tail end of the craft has now spread to the undercarriage. It's spreading! Shit! Barnes leans heavily into the mic on his console. Steve, shut down your backups, now! Interior, cockpit, day. Steve checks his instrument panel. Control, I'm showing nothing here. Are you positive? Interior, mission control, day. Barnes slams the console. Colonel Austin, shut down your backups now. That's in order. Exterior, airfield. What is this guy's rank? He's barking orders at a colonel. <laughs> Exterior, airfield, day. McClintock's aide receives word over his headset. He whispers it to McClintock. McClintock face, McClintock's face drops. Oh my god. He looks up. Exterior, wasn't paying attention to the plane until now. <laughs> Exterior sky, day. The tail of the Daedalus catches fire. It spreads quickly. Interior, cockpit, day. Steve struggles to look back, but the cabin allows for limited movement. Control, I've got flames here. The altitude gauge is dropping dramatically. Steve struggles with the stick. And I'm losing altitude. Interior, mission control, day. Barnes and his team are buzzing about frantically. Eject Colonel Austin, now! Interior, cockpit, day. Steve unhooks himself from the cabin and reaches for the eject lever. He pulls at it with zero results. Negative control, erection, is jammed. And I know I did that on purpose. You know, that's not what makes for comedy. <laughs> Negative control, ejection is jammed. Interior, mission control, day. Techie 1 taps furiously at his keyboard. Mm. Barnes is over his shoulder. The fire spread to his instrumentation panel already. It's affected his ejection relay. Barnes shoves the techie out of the way. Move! He slams at the keyboard with no results. He leaps to his feet. Shit! He frantically presses his headset mic to his ear. Steve. Exterior, sky, day. The Daedalus plummets in a nosedive. Interior, cockpit, day. The instrument panel ignites in flames. How the Steve wrestles with the stick. Because... Fire. Okay, but fire's <laughs> in the back. Anyway, moving yeah, forward. But now it traveled along the undercarriage. While he's going mock something? Yeah, that doesn't seem likely. You know... <laughs> this script is perfect. I don't want to hear you talk shit about it. Steve wrestles with the stick. You've got to pilot her in. Try to even up. I'm trying. Exterior, airfield, day. The assembled officers watch the sky. The aide points north. There! <laughs> There's the flaming plane in the sky, in case you guys couldn't see it. 
In the distance, the Daedalus shoots into view. Interior, cockpit, day. Steve pulls back hard on the stick. His muscles strain. His face is so tight it looks like it'll burst. Exterior, sky, day. The Daedalus evens up a bit, still in flames. Interior, mission control, day. Techie 2 points to his monitor. Sir, he's coming in too fast. At this speed... I know! Steve, pull up. Pull up, goddammit! Thank you for that. <laughs> hey, you know how you're in a nosedive? I know you're a pilot and all, but have you considered pulling back on the stick to make that not going down? <laughs> it seems this is, like such this an is the helpful training. Right? This, this is the helpful advice this guy's giving in his years and years of airplane control tower experience. Pull up. Thanks. Exterior, airfield, day. Fire trucks arrive. Siren, sirens blazing. McClintock and the officers rush into the hangar. Interior, cockpit, day. Amidst flames and smoke, Steve pulls back even harder on the stick. Exterior, airfield, day. The Daedalus, now hundreds of feet from the ground, evens up enough to land, but it is still going too fast. Interior, mission control, day. Barnes barks at his crew. Get a cable going out there! We can't, sir. He's too close. Jesus Christ! 20 seconds to impact. Come on, Steve. You can do this. Interior, cockpit, day. Steve struggles with the stick. Through the windshield in front of him, we can see the ground fast approaching. Even it out, Steve! Even it out! Interior, hangar, day. The hangar protected officers watch in horror. Interior, mission control, day. Barnes and his crew mirror them, their eyes glued to the screens at the head of the room which display the fast landing craft. The immortal words are spoken. There can be only one. <laughs> I can't hold it. She's breaking up. She is breaking up. Exterior airfield day. The Daedalus touches down. Back end first. Then goes into a forward roll. Exploding and speeding forward. It crashes through blockades and other aircraft. Devastating everything in its path. Before sliding to a fiery halt. Parenthetical that is really in the script. <laughs> I can't do this justice, but I'm sure ILM can. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> that's absolutely great. The officers shield er, interior hangar day. The officers shield their eyes. Interior mission control day. Barnes and his crew watch in horror. A tear rolls down Barnes's cheek. Exterior airfield day. The wreckage endures a series of smaller explosions. In the distance, fire trucks speed toward it. An emergency crew unloads equipment and what looks like an aircraft variation of the Jaws of Life. Fade out. I gotta say, this has been not half bad if you can ignore the technical faux pas. Uh, no, no. The whole thing is completely filled with, uh, 
just stereotypes and and cliches and just scenes basically lifted straight from entire genres. Yeah. It's he's basically copying and pasting 15 other movies together into this movie. Well, in his- every line of dialogue, <laughs> every shot. In his defense, at least he's not as bad as Quentin. I, as much as a, I love Quentin. A tear rolls down Barnes's cheek. That is a cliche and a half. Oh, why? <laughs> All right, everybody, don't forget to listen to all the other great podcasts on rogintel.com. Uh, buy stuff from Amazon at rogintel.com slash Amazon. Some good stuff right there. I just bought some stuff the other day on it, and uh, I did end up getting the network some money. I bought this beautiful mixer that I'm using uh, for nothing more than sending my audio to Patrick. <laughs> well, uh, for right now, I mean, it's the same exact mixer as I'm using right now, and uh, so I, I let me assure you, you can do simply everything you want to do with it. But right now, I'm seriously underutilizing it. Sure. I feel kind of bad. Eh. I mean, it's like it's like hiring a high-end hooker and just talking to her. <laughs> it's the sexy factor, though, and that's what counts. And it does make you sound really good, especially with that 320 you've got there. That Patrick loaned me. Thank you, Patrick. Well, sure, I wasn't looking for a vocal handout here, but you're welcome. I'll give you a vocal hand job if you want. Hey, now. That's, uh, that, that's what happens after the show, though. Well, everybody... Um, hit us up on Facebook. Give us a like. Say hi on Twitter. Uh, at the table reads because some other assholes using at table reads or not using it actually, but he's got it. Screw that guy. Whoever you are, screw you guy. At table reads, screw you. We're at the table reads. Uh, reach out, say hi, tell us uh, how much you hated Patrick, and and if you did, we'll see you next week. And if you didn't hate me, check out my other show, Prime, theprimepod.com. The voice of Table Reads is Art Carlson. Hey, that's kind of meta. This has been a Rogue Intel production. Cut to black.